we even headed down this road? Why are we looking at vasopressin? There's just not a lot we can do for these in-hospital and out-of-hospital cardiac arrests. You don't get to have a neurological outcome at all if you don't have ROS. This cocktail, really not ready for prime time. The steroid voodoo medicine, who knows? It's a really crazy time. Here, here. Welcome back, everyone, to Critical Care Perspectives in Emergency Medicine. This is Mike Winters from the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. Hope that you all are doing well for this podcast. We have another hot off the press, groundbreaking study that we're going to talk about that was just published in JAMA with respect to cardiac arrest, an aspect of cardiac arrest and potential medication delivery. So that is going to be our educational topic for this particular podcast, but I have to welcome in really the brains behind CCPEM, my amazing colleagues, Dr. Peter W., Dr. John Greenwood, and Dr. Rob Rodriguez. Gentlemen, it has been a few weeks since we have last chatted here on the podcast. Lots of developments across the country. I think in general, we were just bantering about before recording that we're starting to see some decreases in COVID numbers. That is outstanding. We're starting to see some additional vaccination boosters open up to various patient populations, some of which are ourselves, and perhaps we've gotten some boosters. And then I think probably the big thing that we were talking about is really what we are faced with across healthcare right now, specifically in emergency medicine, for that matter, inpatient care as well, our staffing shortages that I think all of us, regardless of where we are listening to this podcast from, are experiencing. So, Peter, let me turn to you. How are things down south? So, Mike, thank you. Things are much better. We had a little snap of cool weather and then back to hot with a high today, almost 90, which is a little bit frightening, but it's all sustainable given a decrease in COVID that's substantial across our region and hospitalizations are down, which is good timing just before flu season hits. So that's welcome. So a nice reprieve. That sounds great. John, how are things up with you north of me in Philadelphia? Yeah, Mike, going really well. Thank you. You know, just to touch on that point, you know, I know we have a broad range of listeners, but, you know, shout out to our nurses. If there's any of you are nurses who are listening, you know, first of all, it's awesome to know that you're interested in kind of the cutting edge kind of emergency medicine, critical care, but to everything that you guys do, we couldn't do without you as four physicians on a podcast. It's incredibly rare that there's someone that you recognize. You guys care so much and really do an amazing job and allow the team to really succeed in taking care of these really sick patients. So it's an honor and privilege to really work alongside some really bright and talented people. So thank you for all that you do. It's a really crazy time. Here, here. John, that was wonderfully said, and we could wrap this up now. Thanks for listening to the the podcast, but we will get to education, but I think you just said a wonderfully important point that we will overemphasize. Rob, how are things with you on the West Coast? On the West Coast, we're doing well. Our COVID numbers are down and we had our first rain in close to six to eight months. So hopefully we will be out of the wildfire period and... I completely agree with what John said about nursing and other staff like respiratory therapists. We absolutely cannot function without you. You're the core of the patient care in the ED and in the ICU. And so, yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up, John. 
Agreed, agreed. Well, let's transition to the educational topic at hand for this podcast. And I think when we talk about critical care and resuscitation, when we talk about emergency medicine, critical care across the various spectrums, even in the pre-hospital setting, there's probably no other condition that is so applicable to all of us, and that is cardiac arrest. And with that, an article just got published really about one to two weeks ago online in the Journal of the American Medical Association pertaining to medications used in cardiac arrest. And specifically, lead author on this trial was Lars Anderson. You probably know him well in terms of cardiac arrest literature, a thought leader. This particular trial was named the effect of vasopressin and methylprednisolone versus placebo on return of spontaneous circulation in patients with in-hospital cardiac arrest. This was the VAM-IHCA trial. Now, admittedly, we're going to drill down on in hospital cardiac arrest, we focused a lot of prior podcasts on cardiac arrest in relation to those with out of hospital cardiac arrest. And we've talked about those numbers before, but when we specifically focus on in hospital cardiac arrest, that occurs somewhere around 300,000 times annually here in the United States. And while the survival for those folks, survival to hospital discharge is better than out of hospital cardiac arrest, overall survival with meaningful neurologic survival still remains poor at about 25%. Now, the attempt at resuscitation or the care of in-hospital cardiac arrest, it's nearly identical to out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, where we're going to focus on immediately recognizing that someone is in arrest, delivering high-quality CPR, early defibrillation for shockable rhythms, and then once we achieve ROSC, that protocolized, evidence-based post-cardiac arrest care that we've talked about on many different podcasts. And within the cardiac arrest resuscitation, both out of and in hospital cardiac arrest, we typically administer medications, namely epinephrine, and in some cases, amiodarone and lidocaine. But if you recall a few years ago, in fact, actually all the way back in 2009, and then a follow-up study in 2013, a group out of Greece, Metzalopoulos and colleagues, they published two studies looking at vasopressin and steroids in the setting of in-hospital cardiac arrest resuscitation. And what they reported in those two trials was improved ROSC along with survival to hospital discharge for those patients that received a combination of vasopressin and methylprednisolone within the medication administration for the resuscitation of in-hospital cardiac arrest patients. And Despite those two positive trials, really nothing has been completed since that time. And every time I think the four of us give a lecture on cardiac arrest, there's always a question or two about this combination, VSC or vasopressin, steroids, and potentially epinephrine, and whatever happened to that 2013 study. Well, at the present time, it's primarily those two trials. And even though they were positive, really both the US and European resuscitation guidelines have not endorsed this combination of vasopressin and steroids along with epinephrine for in-hospital cardiac arrest resuscitation. And I think it's with that that led into or formed the basis of this current trial, the VAM-IHCA trial, in essence, validate the results of that 2009 and 2013 study. So with that, Peter, I'm going to turn it over to you to kind of give us the objective and really what was this study. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. And so the objective of this study was to determine whether the combination of vasopressin and methylprednisolone given together 
during in-hospital cardiac arrest actually improved return of spontaneous circulation. So they're looking for ROSC and they're looking for combination of these two drugs to give a difference in ROSC compared to placebo. The study, it's a randomized placebo-controlled parallel group. It was double-blinded and a superiority trial. This involved 10 hospitals only in Denmark. Nowhere outside of that. Everything's in Denmark. The patients, those that were included, were 18 years of age or older, those suffering from in-hospital cardiac arrest, and they had to have received at least one dose of epinephrine during their cardiac arrest. Now, who gets excluded from this study? Well, anybody with an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, any of those people that were DNR had that order prior to their arrest, those who were receiving ECMO or had an LVAD at the time of the arrest, and those patients who were pregnant. So that's your exclusion group. Now, what exactly was the intervention? And again, patients were randomized in a one-to-one ratio in vasopressin methylprednisolone group, right? The steroid and vasopressin group, 20 units of vasopressin were administered IV push and 40 milligrams of methylprednisolone. This was given as soon as possible following the first dose of epinephrine and randomization. There were allowed additional dosages of vasopressin that could be administered after each epinephrine dose for a max of four doses total. So every time you gave subsequent epinephrine, they would give an additional 20 units of vasopressin up to four doses. Could, doesn't mean everybody got it, but you could get it. The placebo group got simple ampules of normal saline. That was it. So what were they looking here for a primary outcome? And again, as I said before in the objective, they're looking for return of spontaneous circulation for at least 20 minutes. So you had to have ROSC for 20 minutes to qualify for a primary outcome. Secondary outcome was survival at 30 days, and more importantly, favorable neurological outcome at 30 days. Kind of like the gold standard, what you would love to achieve in ROSC. Now, adverse events that were categorized for the purposes of this study, hyperglycemia, understanding we're giving methylprednisolone, hypernatremia, infections, again, could be suppressed with the steroid, GI bleeding, which again, could be increased with steroids, and mesenteric and peripheral ischemia, something that you might see with the administration of high-dose vasopressin. And so those are your objectives. I'd like to turn it over to John now to review the results with us. John? Yeah, awesome summary, Peter. So overall, there were a little over 2,600 patients with in-hospital cardiac arrest that were screened during the trial period. And from those patients, 501 were actually included in the analysis. And they were divided fairly evenly. So in the vasopressin steroid group, there were 237 patients and then 264 patients in the placebo group. So pretty close in terms of the division. Baseline characteristics were similar between groups. 
Now this is a randomized trial, so you kind of expect it to land this way, right? So mean age was about 71 years, 64% were male, 66% occurred on the general medical or surgical ward. 90% of patients also had a initial non-shockable rhythm. And the median time to rest to first epidosin trial drug administration was five minutes and about eight minutes respectively. So I think this is probably aligned with most of our experience in terms of the most in-hospital arrests tend to be some sort of non-cardiac, primary cardiac cause, you know, respiratory or whatnot. So it isn't surprising that so many had an initial non-shockable rhythm. The primary outcome here was return to spontaneous circulation. And in the vasopressin steroid group, 42% of those patients achieved the primary outcome as opposed to 33% of the patients that got standard therapy or the placebo group. The risk ratio was 1.3 for the patients who received the VSE and then the primary outcome with a fragility index of three. So pretty reasonable separation there. In terms of secondary outcomes, the 30-day survival for the VSE group was approaching 10% at 9.7 compared to the placebo group of 12%, and that was not determined to be statistically significant, as was the other secondary outcomes of favorable neurologic outcome. And looking at neurologic outcome at 30 days, there was no difference between the two groups there. Now, all of us are probably thinking, okay, well, what about some adverse events? What are some things we need to think about if we are going to consider this treatment strategy? Did any of the patients experience any bad outcomes as a result of the VSE treatment group? And steroids commonly, we think of hyperglycemia. And so post-arrest hyperglycemia, there was a little bit of a difference, although probably not significant between the VSE and placebo group, 77% to 63%. There was a little bit of a decrease in hypernatremia seen between the groups, but really not significant. So all in all, the study really didn't report that much in terms of adverse events, which is great to see, but we did see a difference in the primary outcome. So I'm going to send this over to Rob now. Rob, maybe tell us, what are your thoughts on this trial? Are there any major limitations that stand out? What do you think? Yeah, John, in terms of limitations, there are a fair number of significant limitations in this study. Overall, it's a very well done study. It's hard to do these types of resuscitation trials, and they overall did a, a really good job. But nevertheless, there are some significant limitations. One is that although they screened a large number of patients, only about 500 or a fifth of the patients that they screened were ultimately included in less than a fifth were included in the trial. Although the study was multi-center, all of the sites were in Denmark, and that could have some effects on generalizability of the study to other countries, to other regions of the world. I think the biggest limitation, or certainly one of the biggest limitations, is the fact that they chose ROSC as their primary outcome instead of favorable neurological survival at discharge, which is a much more patient-centered, a much more valuable outcome than achievement of ROSC. I think that that was unfortunate that they chose ROSC as their primary outcome. We don't really care that much about how many patients you get back immediately. What you care about is their survival at 30 days and more specifically, 
their neurological survival, their good outcome neurologically at 30 days. So those should have probably been the primary outcomes instead of ROSC. There are also some interesting differences between the two groups, the intervention and the control group, in terms of their management post-resuscitation. It's a little confusing that they could have such significant differences in these measures. One of them that they had a great difference in was 46% of the placebo group got steroids after the initial resuscitation as compared to 24% of the intervention group. And then even more remarkable, 30% of the placebo group were placed on ECMO after the resuscitation as compared to 14% of intervention patients. You know, that's the doubling of that ECMO intervention. And so you can imagine that those differences could have attenuated the survival difference, could have really had some major impact on those primary and secondary outcomes. Another point of note is that temperature hypothermia, temperature control management was used only in about a quarter of patients in each group, which is less than certainly we do at my institution for in-hospital cardiac arrest. certainly do more than 25% of our patients have targeted temperature management. And then finally, another slight limitation is the fact that 90% of patients had an initial non-shockable rhythm. It's pretty high. I don't know the exact numbers in my shop, but that sounds a bit high. My take-home points from this are that among in-hospital cardiac arrest patients, this protocol, the administration of vasopressin and methylprednisolone, it clearly resulted in an increase in ROSC, but did not improve the more important outcomes of survival at 30 days and survival with favorable neurologic outcome. And so my take home from this is that vasopressin and methylprednisolone, this cocktail, it's really not ready for prime time. I'm not adopting that in my practice now. I think that another point about this is both out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and in-hospital cardiac arrest, we kind of get frustrated in how limited the interventions that we have are. You know, there's just not a lot we can do for these in-hospital, out-of-hospital cardiac arrests other than provide really good CPR and defibrillate as soon as possible. So it appears that we've tried a bunch of different cocktails, different drugs in resuscitation trials, and none of them other than perhaps epinephrine with a very small improvement in outcomes, none of the drug trials that we've tried have yielded a positive improvement in outcomes. So it's a bit frustrating. So I'd be interested to hear what y'all take home about this study. What do you think, Mike? Uh, That was an expert analysis. Thanks so much for taking us through. I think you've identified really important limitations that if we just did a quick screen of the abstract and you saw increased ROSC rates, you might be tempted to just start giving this on your next shift, your next potential cardiac arrest. I do acknowledge that many folks listening to this work in resource-limited settings and are responding to in-house cardiac arrest or in-hospital cardiac arrest. So it's an important question. And for me, I think about, well, why are we even headed down this road? Why are we looking at vasopressin and potentially steroids? And I think 
mechanistically or pathophysiologic wise, it makes sense in that we are just like with epinephrine, trying to increase that alpha adrenergic tone and trying to increase aortic diastolic pressure and thereby try to improve coronary perfusion pressure and then myocardial blood flow and subsequently achieve ROSC. You know, we can't get ROSC unless we have a good coronary perfusion pressure and good myocardial blood flow. So I recognize and acknowledge the rationale behind it. But I think, you know, in terms of medications in cardiac arrest, we've seen this with other meds. So epinephrine and even amiodarone, it helps us achieve ROSC with a higher percentage. And we can't get patients out of the hospital with meaningful neurologic survival unless we achieve ROSC. But having said that, thus far, medications in general and cardiac arrest resuscitations, I don't think we have clear evidence to show that any medication results in the patient-centered outcome of survival to discharge with good neurologic recovery or as close to the baseline neurologic recovery or neurologic status as the patient had prior to arrest. And so I, I think this is an important contribution. I think this study needed to be done because there were still those lingering questions coming out of the 20, 2009 and 2013 studies. And this is larger than those. This is a randomized trial. So it's an important contribution. And I am glad that we're discussing this article. But like you said, I'm not ready to jump on this bandwagon and start administering vasopressin and methylprednisolone in the setting of in-hospital cardiac arrest. And we really haven't looked at it in the out-of-hospital cardiac arrest setting in such a more formal RCT like this. John, your thoughts? Yeah, excellent point so far. I'm just going to take this maybe just a little bit to the side. And, you know, as we were sitting here talking, I was kind of curious, even looking at the dosage, because I think with all medications, as we're thinking about, you know, mechanism and dose, what was the dose equivalent of vasopressin to maybe the usual medication we might use, epinephrine for cardiac arrest? And if you convert the 20 units to like epinephrine equivalent, it's probably about half a milligram of epinephrine of what we might use during standard cardiac arrest. So it was a little bit less. And I agree with everything in terms of this isn't going to necessarily change my practice, but it is interesting as we're thinking about things like the value of medications, Mike, as you pointed out, that really it's probably about the basics more than anything else, and probably less is maybe more. So they use a lower dose of presser, if you will, using a half a milligram equivalent of vasopressin to epinephrine. And the decatecholaminization, thinking about the effects of high dose and regular frequent doses of high dose catecholamines has effect on the body. There probably is a signal there that there's some negative impact of smashing our alpha and beta receptors with high dose epinephrine in terms of achieving the outcomes we're looking for. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head, but I'm with you guys in terms of really focusing on high quality CPR, good quality chest compressions as being my primary target overall. I think it's interesting, the results, and absolutely, this is a tough trial to do. So congratulations to the authors for really giving a shot at something that is truly a challenging patient population of research. But I don't know. I think it's not going to change my practice just yet, but yeah, maybe a signal for future research to be done. All right, Peter, you get to bring us home. It's tough to add to all that clever messaging. I would agree it's not ready for prime time, but I would also say that you don't get to have a neurological outcome at all if you don't have ROSC. And so this moves us forward from a research standpoint, not a clinical standpoint, but from a research standpoint. 
I agree with John's comments about dosages, not just for vasopressin, but also for the methylprednisolone. I mean, the steroid voodoo medicine, who knows? We do know that vasopressin, even in sepsis, at a very low fixed dose, replacement dose, vasopressin is helpful. And one would question whether if we gave vasopressin replacement dose for the hypothalamus in cardiac arrest, would that be equally effective as opposed to this very high dose? But again, I think the part of the study that I found the weakest is that we didn't control for any of our known neuroprotective effects, right? They weren't all cooled. We don't know where the head of the bed was. We don't know what the oxygen saturations were, right? Whether they were allowed to be greater than 100 PaO2. We don't know if they got antibiotics for aspiration, changes in chest x-ray. We don't know whether they went to cath for associated STEMI, whether they looked for that. And we didn't know whether they screened for seizure and then treated accordingly if they had seizures. And again, all of those things have a great effect on neurological outcome. And I think without knowing that, we really can't answer to, was this an effective study or not? And it doesn't mean this was a bad study. This is a great study, just opens up more questions. Well said. Well, my thanks to the three of you for discussing this hot off the press article. I think we really enjoy bringing that to all of our listeners in terms of staying ahead of the literature, those groundbreaking and hot off the press and potentially practice changing articles. We have a great time reviewing them for you, discussing them with you. And so if you have any questions on this latest trial, this VAM IHCA trial published in JAMA, please let us know. Love to communicate with you over email and through our website. And, you know, I've said this before in a few podcasts. If you've now listened to this podcast and you want to earn, you need that CME, you have that option. So there is that CME single subscription where you can simply go take those two questions, earn your CME certificate and bank that for the year. So consider that in terms of contributing to the podcast. But gentlemen, I think we'll bring this to a close. We are right at about on time at our usual length for reviewing studies, talking about an educational topic. My thanks for joining me on yet another outstanding and informative discussion on a very important topic. We wish you all well. And getting back to what John opened with, we cannot thank you enough. These are challenging times. We may not be overrun and have COVID patients everywhere and in the hallways filling our ICUs, but we are absolutely constrained and confronting the challenges of this pandemic and what it has done to our workforce, the morale and just simply the physical and mental exhaustion of taking care of these patients and continuing to show up day in and day out. You continue to inspire the four of us. We want to thank you for all that you're doing, and we will so look forward to talking to you on our next podcast. Bye for now.